Well, can we give the band a round of applause? Not bad, are they? This is good. I, like last time I did this, you couldn't see on here what was up there, so that's helpful. Uh, yeah, I've got some glasses. Got my Bible. Actually, if you want, like, just as a signal, we are going to be um, looking at different parts of the Bible. If you want to find a, a scripture that we're going to sit in a bit, or the one to look up, if you like, it's John 15, verses 1 to 11. So we'll go there in a bit. Uh, this morning, I'm going to be speaking to you about joy. Okay, who wants a bit of joy? Okay, good. That's a good start. Um, I haven't done this for about 18 months, but now you get me for the next three weeks. It's like a London bus. Okay? So there's a smattering of applause. We'll see whether that's the same next week. Um, you know, I've been in this, this place of isolation on my own for a long time. And God's been speaking to me and stirring up all kinds of things. And so I'm hoping to just impart some of it this morning or some of it over the next three weeks, okay? Uh, to be honest, there's too much to say. Uh, so I'm just going to kind of, it might be a bit sporadic. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just hopefully just something's going to land this morning. And then over the next couple of weeks, we're going to get a little bit more focused, a little bit specific, okay, uh, on, some, on some particular issues associated with joy. But today, I just want something of God's desire to fill your life with joy to come across, okay? Um, so it's a bit like a trilogy, and as with any good trilogy, um, especially, like, have you seen these, every TV series you, you watch at the moment, there's a story, but they never start at the beginning, do they? They always kind of start in the middle, and then they go back to the beginning. It's a bit like that. And I'm going to share some of my story, um, but I'm not starting at the beginning of this, like, period I've been in for the last uh, year or so. Today, we'll come to some of that next week. But I will be sharing some of my life story and some of my more recent story. Uh, and really, the headline there is that in some of the time I have had where I've been pushed into God, He has been showing me how to access His joy in wonderful ways through His creation, through abiding, through sitting with Him. And there's something I believe that He wants to land with us today uh, something that he's been doing in me, but actually something that he wants to put into us as a church. I, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that there is something of the joy of the Lord that he wants us to get hold of and shape the very center of who we are. I'm convinced that being, not just being disciples, but being joy-filled disciples is a desire of God for us. And I hope, hope to show you some of that this morning. So please do open your heart. This is about seeing who you truly are, who Jesus truly is, who God truly is and connecting those things together, okay? So it might be a bit messy today, but we'll get there. When I was a kid, when I was a child, uh, I used to go fairly regularly with my mum and my dad, my sister, to visit my uncle, aunt, and two cousins. Now, they only lived an hour away, but we didn't go all that often. And when we went, they were days filled with joy, filled with fun, filled with football, filled with food, anything else. You know, those kind of things, they, they filled my tank. I love being with them. We would go there and we'd, we'd spend the whole day with them. And this was my, like, my fun uncle. Everyone's got a fun uncle, right? This is my fun uncle. Uh, and we just did great stuff. And then when it got to the end of the day, where, um, this is embarrassing, right? But when it got to the end of the day and we had to go, I was always utterly distraught. I was like beside myself with grief at the thought of having to go because I didn't know when I was going to see them again and I couldn't cope with it. And I'd be prostrate, crying my eyes out on the ground. I don't want to go. Don't want to go. <laughs> Embarrassing, right? 
But I was so, so enjoying being with them, not knowing when I would see them again was too much for me. You know, there's, in, in, I don't know whether you've ever seen this, but in, in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 24, there are two stories right at the very end of that chapter, at the very end of the whole Gospel, two stories of sets of disciples on a walk, having just been with Jesus, and he's no longer with them. Yeah? The first one is on the road to Emmaus, and we have these disciples who have, actually Jesus comes alongside them. There, there have been three days since Jesus died. There's even rumors of him having risen again, uh, and people claim to have seen him. And yet the, 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 the storyteller, Luke, describes them as being distraught, being downcast. That's the way they felt. Now, I can understand that, having just told you my story. Imagine being with Jesus and then no more, not knowing whether you'll see him again or if you do, when it'll be. I would be distraught, right? But there's a second story, the very, very, very end of the chapter, where there's another group of disciples, and they have just been with Jesus. They've been with him as he ascends to heaven, and he's no longer with them, and they are heading off on a journey back to Jerusalem. But this time... This time, Luke tells us that they are filled with joy, and they go back to Jerusalem singing praises, worshiping God, and they continue to do so in the temple. Why the difference? Why would they be, having left Jesus, any different to the previous set of disciples, just 30 verses previously? I'll tell you the difference. A revelation. They had a revelation of who Jesus truly was, of who God was and who they were. And as a result of that revelation, they were filled with joy. They had eyes to see and ears to hear something in a different way, and they knew that they were connected with him regardless of whether that he was there or not, and that who he was and who they were shaped everything going forward. A revelation. Question this morning, do you have a real revelation of Jesus? Do you have a real revelation of the Spirit in your life? Are you alive with eyes that see and ears that hear? Because if you are, joy is available to you today in ways that you would not believe. I'm not just talking about the becoming a Christian revelation. When we come to faith, when you ask Jesus into your life, that's just the beginning. That's the beginning of this journey of revelation, right? It's the start. That's where becoming a disciple begins. But Jesus doesn't want you just to have some kind of sense of, oh, I'm now, I'm over the line, He wants you to become a disciple, to become more like him, and he wants you and I to be filled with joy in that journey. That's what he wants for us. How many of you know Ality is a good guy, a great guy, actually? Yeah. Do you know a few of them? (laughs) One or two? How many of us know that Al is a great guy? Yay! You know, that's not a new thing. He's been a great guy for a while. As far as I'm concerned, for at least about eight years, maybe longer. I don't know. But I I remember being with Alad a number of years back, okay? And I was going through some deep stuff in my life at the time. I was really wrestling with with, some big questions about my life story, the, the story that had shaped me to that point. And Alad asked me this simple question. This is, this is about eight or nine years ago, okay? He says to me, do you think there is enough joy in your life? Do you remember that? He remembers that. Probably because I cried when he said it. 
Because in that moment where I was asked that question, I was hit with this sudden, deep realization that the answer to that question for me was no. In fact, I became so overwhelmed with a sense of sadness that I realized not only was joy not uh, the central part of my life, but actually that sadness was. And I had a long way to go to step into all that God had for me. But I was beginning to see that there was something of the joy of the Lord that was available to me and that could be pursued. You see, the joy of God is something that we can pursue. It's something we can go after. It's something we can chase. It's something that we can find, okay? And that began a significant journey for me. I want to ask you, oh, I've got to do this sort of thing, haven't I? Someone's doing it for me, look. I want to ask you, is there enough joy in your life? Thank God for the death. Is there enough joy in your life? Or do you have a sense, like me, of something else? And some of you will say yes and praise God. There's still more to go after. But perhaps not everybody feels that way. Perhaps more of you can relate to the sense that I had. But I want to say again, a state of joy is something that God wants us to have. Joy is something that the Scriptures are filled with. We see this picture painted in Genesis of this blissful walking in the garden with Jesus, don't we? An environment free from any sort of evil. And then we see the birth of Jesus, which signifies bringing joy to the world. We see celebration and dancing and all kinds of joy at the resurrection of Jesus. And we see this picture again painted of a new heaven and a new earth, an endless singing, rejoicing, worshiping, dancing, and great joy in the heavenly realms that will one day fill the earth as Jesus Christ comes again. Yet joy is the centerpiece of the Scriptures. Our big story starts with joy and it ends with joy. And there's never sensing, ever, ever, a never-ending, growing sense of joy as the story builds. And we'll look at that a little bit more. Joy is a high-energy state. It's something that we can live in. Okay? It's sister or brother is peace, which is a low-energy state, sense of well-being, all is good and well with the world. And God wants us to find a place where we can float between the two. So do we have a revelation? I'm hoping this morning that we might get more of one as we go along. Let's open our Bibles, and as I said, we're in John 15, verses 1 to 11. Um, Oh, sorry, let me just say this. If you are sensing this morning that joy is not your go-to state, then maybe it's one of these things that you see on the screen there. You know, life is shaped by our story before we come to know Jesus, right? We have a life story that's got us somewhere. And psychologists understand and will tell us that these six different states are often the go-to state that we have as human beings. I wonder whether you relate to any of those. The message this morning is that Jesus wants us to learn how to move from those states into a state of joy. Okay, so we're in John 15, 1 to 11. It says this, I am, the, I am the true vine, my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Okay, so that uh, sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? Like there's a lot of cutting, whether it's pruning or completely lopping off. Not a lot of joy, right? Well, read on. You already, you are already clean, says the Lord, because the word I have, because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. Some versions of the Bible say, "Abide, remain, abide in me, and I will remain in you." 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You ever thought about that? Jesus says, apart from him, you can do nothing. Nothing that has any heavenly value, right? You want to do something with your life that has heavenly value? Remain in him. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me then, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. Abide in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. And then he says this, I have told you this so that my joy might be in you. That's the joy of Jesus might be in you. I've told you this that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be complete. Let's just let's focus on that for a moment. Jesus says all of this stuff that precedes this, about abiding, remaining in him, remain in him as I remain in you. Yeah, stay in that place, abide, live obediently, remain in my love. I tell you all this in order that my joy, the joy that I have may come into your life and that your joy may be complete. Your joy is the purpose of your abiding. Your joy is the purpose of you remaining in Him. It's not just like something so that you have some disciplined thing to do so that you're being a good Christian. The reason that Jesus wants you to abide in Him and He wants to abide in you, whatever that means, and we'll talk about that, is for your joy. And not only for your joy, but so that your joy may be complete. Complete as in full. As in, like, as good as it gets. As in no room for anything else. Complete. That's what it means. This implies a few things. Number one, joy without abiding in Jesus is incomplete joy. So whatever you might think you've experienced of as joy in your life, if it didn't have some sense of being connected to your relationship with the living God, then it was an inferior sense of joy than is truly available to you. Secondly, this is full joy. That means like when something's full, there's no room for anything else, right? That means there's no room for sadness or fear or anger or shame or disgust or hopeless despair. Sounds pretty good, right? Thirdly, this joy, this, this abiding, this whole thing is wrapped up in something that is deeply relational, deeply relational. So again, whatever you think you've experienced of as joy, if it's not relational, it's not the joy of the Lord. Joy, by definition, is ultimately found in relationship, deep relationship with the living God, with Jesus, with an infilling of the Holy Spirit, okay? So that means you can't really find joy in things. You can find pleasure, a bit of happiness, but you can't find joy in things. Now you say, well, when I'm in creation, I feel like I am filled with the joy of the Lord. Well, it's, that's because the Lord fills the earth 
and he blesses everything which comes out of him. So you can find the joy of the Lord through creation because it's his thing. And, when, and someone who's not yet a believer can find the joy of the Lord in creation because they're connecting with the creator. But you won't get that through your new car or whatever it else it is that was your most recent impulse purchase or thing you've been watching on Netflix or what anything else. Those things fall short because they're not relational. And finally, the thing to learn from this passage is that this is a promise, okay? So this isn't like, a have, have a crack at it, see how it goes. Jesus is making a promise, okay? So if, if you pursue him, if you pursue joy, you will find it and you will find him because he is true to his word. So let's establish a timeline here, okay? Um, remember, we had those two sets of disciples. One set of disciples uh, encountered uh, life without Jesus uh, before they had a full revelation of who he was. And then he, then he actually reappears to them, and they get a full revelation of who he is. And then when they're, when they're separated from him again, they know they're not really separated, and so they go on in joy, right? The disciples reading the disciples, sorry, in, in real time, hearing these words in John 15 from Jesus, are the first group of disciples. This is before they've got a full revelation, okay? They haven't yet had their ears fully opened up or their eyes fully opened up to really understand what Jesus is talking about. But this message goes on through Scripture. It goes on through the New Testament. And so we get to the book of Ephesians, right? Who loves the book of Ephesians? I know Allah does, yeah? When we get into this letter to the Ephesians, what we see is this. We see Paul describing this idea that Jesus was raised from the dead and he was seated in heavenly places, yeah, far above every power and authority, where no, nothing of this realm, nothing evil, nothing demonic, nothing that can disturb us in any way can, can touch him because he's above all those things, seated at the right hand of the Father. But he also goes on to say, Paul, in this passage, uh, that's the end of uh, Ephesians 1, into Ephesians 2, he says, oh, and by the way, you too, you were crucified with him, but you were also raised from the dead with him, and you are also seated in those heavenly places. And what does it say? It says you're seated in those heavenly places, and you are in him. You're in him, and his spirit is in you. So when you understand that you are seated in heavenly places, that heaven is fully available to you and nothing else can touch you, what are you doing? You're abiding. You're remaining. You are abiding in him. You are remaining in him because you are understanding who you truly are. Not someone who is merely flesh and blood, but you're a spiritual being who is seated in heavenly places with a full, full weight of heaven available to you and nothing stopping it. In other words, that's why joy is available, because joy is found in heaven, and you are seated there today alongside Jesus. In fact, not alongside Jesus, but in him, and you are in him, and he is in you. Okay, now the second set of disciples in that story at the end of Luke 24, they, they'd got it by this point. Their eyes had been opened, their ears had been opened, and they, even though Jesus left them, they went off rejoicing and praising him, and it says that they kept on doing that. In other words, they were focused on continuing to do that because they had this revelation that they wanted to stay abiding and wrapped up in him. Are we living this way? We're getting excited. Ephesians 1, 18, the first part of 
the, the, uh, the verse, which precedes much of what I've just told you about Ephesians, says this. This is Paul. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In other words, he's speaking these things to believers. But it's not a, it's not a guaranteed thing that it's going to land because the eyes of the heart need to be enlightened. They need to be opened. They need to be opened in order that we then be, be a people who understand and get wrapped up into this abiding thing with him. Okay? Do you see? Do you have a revelation? Very quickly. This, this, super fast because I, I want to do well with time here. Um, as we go through the scriptures, we essentially see joy as we understand it evolving. Okay? In fact, actually, there are a number of things in the scriptures that evolve and our understanding of them change because of Jesus. They change. So joy is one, peace is one, and hope's another. And if you want to have an un- a deeper understanding of hope, by the way, New Testament hope, then Alad spoke a week last Friday at our conference here on hope. And that, will be av- that message is available on the, or will be on the Synergy website. I recommend you listen to it because it connects to this. Why did, we didn't talk about that, but why is it connected to this? Well, because God's doing something, right? So try and understand something more of hope. But throughout the, throughout the scriptures, very quickly, in the Old Testament, there's kind of two broad th- understandings of joy. One is a joy because of, okay? Joy because of is linked to celebrations, occasions, events, friendships, weddings, festivals, tasting good food. In other words, joy or gladness, singing and shouting for joy, comes because of an engagement in good things that God has brought and an ability to connect with Him in that moment. The second type of joy that we see in the, New, in the Old Testament then is um, what you might describe as joy following. So this is a delayed joy. This is a recognizing that life is tough, like the bumps on the bicycle. There's grieving and sorrow and distress and affliction. Uh, and there's all things like that, okay? But then there's this promise that joy will follow. And there's a waiting. And it's based on hope as it's understood in the Old Testament, which is less certain than it is in the New. And perhaps this understanding of joy is most seen as being the appropriate response to God's saving acts, following a period of sorrow, affliction, and it dominates the Old Testament, waiting to be rescued. There's hope, and then finally we're rescued, and there's joy, okay? But joy then takes on an entirely different meaning and understanding when we get to the New Testament, because what we see in the New Testament is a joy notwithstanding, okay? A joy notwithstanding. That means a joy that supersedes anything and every other emotion, feeling, experience we might have, because we can abide in Christ, okay? So this means that joy doesn't sit alongside or instead of or after grief or sorrow or, or upset or, you know, distress or anything like that, but actually joy becomes the undergirding thing into which we can experience those things, but deep down we still know that regardless of all those things, God is good, Jesus is seated on the throne, we are in Him and He is in us, and we know that the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning, and we are still ultimately excited about who God is. So I can have, I can have grief, but it's undergirded by a sense of joy because God is in my deliverer. I can have sorrow, but it's my, my, my underlying joy is the stronger thing because it's the state in which 
I live or I can choose to live, okay? And choice is a, that's a different conversation. That's New Testament joy, okay? This is the joy then that we see lived out, for example, by Paul again. So if you were to read Philippians, you would see that in Philippians, joy is the overriding theme of the story throughout, throughout Philippians. Paul continually talks about joy and rejoicing, and he has this, this thing welling up in him, which is indescribably good. What's the context for that for Paul? He's in chains. He's in prison. He's not in Sudbury, by the way. He's not in an open prison where he can play basketball or whatever. I've never been. But, you know, he's in a dark dungeon. I'm imagining rats and, like, actually being, being chained and dampness and darkness and cold. Doesn't sound very joyful. But Paul is filled with joy. In fact, he can't stop talking about rejoicing and the joy that he has because he has a joy notwithstanding. It's who he is because he knows that he's seated in heavenly places. His eyes are opened, his ears are opened, and he has a focus. In fact, we know he has a focus because he tells, he, tells us he has a focus in uh, chapter 3, verse 14, where he says, pressing on towards the goal to win the prize for God, uh, for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. That's his action. He is pressing on towards a goal. In other words, he can see something in, in front of him that he's heading to, towards, and that is living the life that Jesus Christ has called him to. He's focused. His eyes are open, his ears are open, and he knows where he's heading. And doing that fills him with joy in spite of his context. We see this with Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 12, 2, tells us that Jesus, uh, for the joy set before him, for the joy set before him, he what? He endured the cross. Hang on a minute. So this is Jesus who was in Gethsemane. Right, you've read the story. He's sweating blood. Everything in him, in, in, his, in his flesh, wants to get out of this situation. And yet, something deeper than that distress wells up in him. Something deeper than that distress. That thing that's deeper is called joy. It's joy. And, it, and it's the writer to the Hebrews says, for in spite of all those experiences that Jesus clearly had in the flesh, big bumps on his bike, and yet for the joy set before him, he was focused, he could see it, fixing his eyes, he endured the cross. The joy was knowing that he was going to be fully and completely reunited with his father and his people. And that joy meant that he could sustain the cross. If Jesus can sustain the cross, we can sustain anything, right? Amen. Joy sustained him. So let's pursue joy. Now here's the interesting thing. The bit that precedes that verse, the whole verse, if you like, says this. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. So the Hebrew writer is telling us that we ought to be a people who fix our eyes on Jesus. Because Jesus fixed his eyes on the prize, like Paul did. And if we fix our eyes on Jesus, who endured death with joy, then the faith that's in us will help us to do the same. So fix your eyes on Jesus. Again, have your eyes opened, your ears open, and fix your eyes on Jesus. This is the key to living in a place of joy. 
Fix your eyes on Jesus. Abide in him. Remain in him. If our eyes are not fixed on Jesus, then they're presumably they're fixed somewhere else, right? Because fixed means it, like fixed, like locked in, okay? So when I have my eyes locked in on Jesus and I understand that I'm seated in heavenly places and who I truly am, then I see everything from a heaven to earth perspective and everything changes, right? But when my eyes are somewhere else, my mind dulls super fast. I forget who I am in five minutes. And so I have to train my mind, which is what the, the writer in Romans 12, 2 is talking about, having my mind transformed, being, tra being transformed by the renewing of my mind. I do that by fixing my eyes on Jesus, and I find a state where I have a deeper revelation of who he truly is, and then I begin to change, and joy fills my life. The psalmists tell us that when our eyes drift, we quickly see idols, and we focus on them. And the psalmist says repeatedly, in fact, this theme goes through the Scriptures. It says that when you focus on an idol, you become like that idol. And though you have eyes, you do not see. And ears, you do not hear. Yep. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Everything changes. Okay, look, this, I haven't got time for this, really. But um, there's a few things here. Our joy originates in God. It's, this is comparing joy and happiness, okay? So if you, if you, if you want to know the difference, uh, the source of our joy is God. It originates in Him. Happiness is dependent on man and other circumstances. The nature of our joy is a soul-deep spiritual conviction. Happiness is based on emotion. The extent of our joy is holistic, embedded, and never-ending. It's not fleeting and fragmented like happiness. The depth of it is that it's deep, internal, and persistent. It's not superficial, sensitive to external conditions or transient. It's stable, rock solid, because it's based on God. It's not a roller coaster. Yeah? You hit the bumps when you've got some happiness, and then it fades when you hit the bump. And that'll do. Okay. Do you have a revelation? I want to start to bringing this into land by... Just, I want to tell you another story, okay? The end of that story that I told there, or the next part of that story that I told there about that encounter I had with Alan where I realized that there wasn't enough joy in my life and that it was shaped by sadness was, I think it was within a few, it might even have been the next day, we went away uh, on a retreat to a place in Wales called Valdebrennen. You may have heard of it, okay? It's a place where many people have encountered God. Now, I need to frame this story by explaining this to you, right? I am someone who has been in multiple environments through, through decades where I've had the privilege of praying for people and seeing demons cast out, people prostrate on the, go the floor because the presence of God is with them. I've, it's, just, it's, it's marked my life. I've been privileged to experience being a, a conduit of God to see that happen in other people. It's barely ever happened to me. I have never knowingly had a demon cast out of me at least not one that's been manifesting and been a bit nuts, okay? That's never happened to me. I've never been prostrate on the floor when someone's prayed for me. I've gone over. I've gone over a couple of times just to keep the prayer happy because they wouldn't stop praying, right? But, but I've, never, I've never really been taken over by God. So I'm not prone to those things, naturally. We went to Val de Brennan and we talked more. My heart was up and more in, in the car. We talked about this thing a bit more. And then 
That night we went, we went to, I went to my bed and Alan went to his. And there was a few other people there as well. And in the night, I can, all I can say to you is that I had an encounter, an experience like nothing I could possibly ever describe to you and, just, and, and kind of really land how incredible it was. It was like nothing I've ever known. Uh, it, it was a dream, but it wasn't a dream. It was, this was like this was really happening to me. And I was in this room, and I found myself stood before what was like a dark picture. There was a, 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 tr- a massive tree root. The tree was broken. And in the, out of this tree were just evil things were flowing out of this tree. And there was accusation coming at me, left, right, and center. You're not good enough. You're, you don't deserve anything. You know, you, you're, you're a shameful person. You don't deserve to have any joy. It was just a horrendous experience. And it felt so real, and it was utterly terrifying. I was terrified. I remember fearing, feeling utter and complete fear in this situation. And then I don't know what came over me, but I, something rose up in me. And, I, and I, I said to this demonic force around me, I said to me, in the name of Jesus, you... And then I used a word, and this is just the truth, I used a word that would suggest that this demonic force didn't have a mother. I said, in the name of Jesus... In the name of Jesus, get away from me. Be gone. And in that moment, like, life sprung out of that tree in front of me. And all I can describe is that this incredible sense of freedom, it was like liquid love. I felt like I was floating. My, I was, my body was alive. And I felt like for the rest of the night, I was in this heavenly realm with Jesus. And it was just the most incredible experience of my life. And from that, you know, I, now, from that moment, things changed. It didn't mean that I was suddenly experiencing joy all the time, but there was a shift. Now, here's my point, okay? Here's my point. God works through both power and process. That was a power encounter. That was a moment where God said, no more, I'm going to set you free. And you know what? How, how, partly why he was able to set me free? because I was ready. My heart was vulnerable. It was open. Power. Now, at the same time, Jesus works through process. And if you haven't seen this yet, you need to. These are available uh, at the door. You should have had an email about them. This is 40 Days of Joy. And this is an opportunity for you to begin to pursue joy through process. Okay? Process means that I begin to intentionally step into a space of joy in order that my mind might be renewed, in order that I might grow and joy might fill more of my life and sadness and all those other things shrink away. Okay, and this works very simply by spending time reflecting on those moments where you are able to encounter God and his goodness and showing gratitude and growing in your capacity to spend more and more space remembering where God was, thinking and experiencing the sounds and feelings and emotions and being grateful, and then doing that for five minutes or ten minutes every day. And as you do that, your, your mind is trans, will be transformed through process, okay? God works through process. So I encourage you to engage with that. And if anyone wants to understand how to do that more, you can talk to me or any of the leadership team here. But he also works through power. He works through power in incredible ways. And I believe that he wants to do something powerful here today. Okay? These are exciting times. They really are. 
we have an open heaven. God is showing us how science is catching up with Scripture as we engage in process. And we need both, by the way. Right? I am doing this all the time. I'm learning what it, what it means every day to step into something more of going, I'm not going to live in that state anymore. I'm going to live in this one. And science is catching up with us. It's, the Bible calls it being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Science calls it uh, um, having neural pathways uh, grow into different places. Okay? And there's a, this guy here is a, a scientist, a neuroscientist. In fact, he's a leading neuroscientist called Dr. Alan Shaw. He's not a, he's not a believer. Okay? As far as I know, he's not a believer. But this guy is one of the leading neuroscientists in the world. And he, ha- he has discovered, and his work is based on this idea, that joy, yep, yeah, I'm not, not Christian, joy is the fuel which transforms us and helps us to grow. So when we pursue joy, we get into a state that allows us to grow in all kinds of other areas of our life particularly if you want to put that into Christian language, to grow in your character, to become more like Jesus, okay? So I want to encourage you to pursue Jesus and an understanding of these heavenly realms through process. But also this morning, I want to give us an opportunity to respond to his power. So can I encourage us to stand? And the band are going to come. Now, when, we are, when we're looking for God to move in power, he's looking for us to show willingness to have him move in power as well, okay? So he's looking for us to have an open heart. And that we, the way that we do that is by making a step of faith, okay? And the way we do that often in this church is simply by stepping forward publicly, and saying, God, I'm ready for a breakthrough. I want to have a breakthrough, okay? Now, I think we've got a bit out of practice, haven't we, with this sometimes? But this is a good one, because this is about simply saying, I want more joy in my life. It's not saying, yeah, that was me watching that thing, and I come to repent, or anything like that. If ever there was something easy to respond to, to come forward to, it's a invitation to have a power encounter with God where he brings more joy into your life. So I want to encourage you right now to come forward. Right now, in this moment, if that's what you want. We've got a team here this morning. I'm going to pray for you. I'll pray for anyone who wants prayer. There's nothing special about my prayers, but I'm going to pray with anyone who wants it. The ministry team will pray with anyone, anyone, anyone who wants a breakthrough, wants to say, I want more joy and I want to st- I want a big leap forward. Thank you. Feel free to keep coming. Just fill the space. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing this song and then, and I'm going to shut up, okay? And after we finish this song, I just want you to stand in the presence of God. As, for as long as it takes for someone to come to get to pray for you. There's a few people. Keep coming because there's people in the aisles. There's a few people. So if it takes a while for someone to come to get to pray for you, just wait. Don't miss on your opportunity for God to impact you in power this morning, okay? And you can continue to come as we sing and you continue to come afterwards. But this is a moment not to be missed because we are standing under an open heaven and God wants to make a big impact in your lives. Amen? Amen. Let's sing.